Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 20 of the 2022 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin in just three weeks, April 28th, Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're now in the territory where we're, a lot of rumors start swirling, a lot of talk about trades, who's going to move up, who's looking at moving down. We've already seen the Miami Dolphins make a trade with the Kansas City Chiefs for Tyreek Hill. Miami no longer has a first-round pick. Kansas City now has two. We also saw Philly and uh, New Orleans make a trade. We knew that Philly had three Picks in round number 115, 16, and 19. The Saints wound up making sure that they got ahead of the LA Chargers. They got to number 16. It cost them a 2023 first round pick. But when you're talking about losing Teron Armstead, you also need receivers. You're going to try to get ahead of the LA Chargers because it looks like they value the same types of players and possibly even the exact same players. So making sure they get ahead to get their guy makes a lot of sense. So a lot has already been transpiring. Who's going to be the number one quarterback off the board? That's still debatable, although it looks like Malik Willis is starting to move up into that realm. And then who's going to be the number one overall pick? I think everyone believes that it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. You see a little bit of talk about possibly Trayvon Walker. We'll get into that. Why Trent Baalke may want Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. Would the Jaguars potentially be interested in trading with the Lions to allow the Lions to get Aiden Hutchinson number one overall? That's also a possibility. And then finally, you you have the offensive lineman. I think you still have to look at that and you still have to say, could you potentially see a scenario where Evan Neal or Ikiakuanu comes off the board number one overall? And I'll tell you what, that would ultimately be the decision that I would make. I know that you do need a, a difference maker on the defensive side of the football, and I'll tell you why Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a great pick for the Jaguars. But look, if, if I'm Doug Peterson, I still want to protect my investment at all costs, and that's Trevor Lawrence. So I'm looking at Evan Neal or Ikiakuanu. And really, my pick there would be Akia Kwanu because I can have him play left guard next to Cam Robinson, who had the franchise tag. After the franchise tag is done at the end of the 2022 season, I can move Akia Kwanu out to left tackle and say goodbye to Cam Robinson because, look, Cam Robinson is not going to be under contract beyond the 2022 season. You're not going to franchise him three years in a row. And I don't see them signing him to a long-term deal. Iki Aquanu could step right in and be your left tackle, and you've solidified that offensive front. And I'll tell you what, the Jaguars at the beginning of round two, you could still target a pass rusher. And really, when you're looking at that pass rush, you know there, there are guys that are out there. Would David Ojabo potentially fall? You've got Arnold Ebiketti uh, out of Penn State who could be there. Uh, you know, if you wanted to get a little bit further down, you know, there's Sam Williams, there, there's Myjay Sanders, even Cameron Thomas uh, out of San Diego State had a really nice three-code drill, uh, six-four-five. Uh, you know, so you're looking at a lot of these guys. Jacksonville, it does make a lot of sense for them to go ahead and target Ikiakuanu with the number one overall pick, but. I think right now, all signs are pointing to Aiden Hutchinson being the guy there. And here's why Aiden Hutchinson is going to be, uh, makes a lot of sense. Jacksonville is trying to change the culture. Doug Peterson is trying to change the culture there. You've got Trevor Lawrence, the leader on the offensive side of the football. You need a leader on the defensive side. And you also need a running mate for Josh Allen. 
if, if I were to put someone like Kayvon Thibodeau in that lineup, they're two of the exact same guys. But I think Aiden Hutchinson's game, a lot of that speed to power, a lot of the counter moves, the relentlessness with the, with the way that he plays, that's a nice combo for the speed rush of Josh Allen. I think a lot of times what you're going to have is Josh Allen with the speed off of one side, and you're going to have Aiden Hutchinson with some of the counter moves back to the inside as the quarterback steps up. They're going to step right into Aiden Hutchinson off of that. Aiden Hutchinson takes an inside move, gets into the quarterback, forces him right into Josh Allen, who's coming off the edge. I, I think it's really a, a nice pairing, that match made in heaven. And, and so, you know, look, Hutchinson, he... he has that blend of strength and explosiveness. He has tremendous hands. They're not to the level of Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa, but he does have great hands. Uh, does a great job getting those hands underneath the pad level, walking his guy back into the backfield. Uh, you know, and being able to set a hard edge against the rush. That's another thing that you see Aiden Hutchinson being able to do. Um, also being able to bend and get back outside. You see what he's able to do with the three cone drill as well. So you're talking about, you know, a guy who. On tape, doesn't look like he can bend a whole lot. When you're running that 6-7-3 three cone drill, you're talking about a guy who can bend. He has that that, that natural ability to bend. So... You know, he, he can bend a lot better than, than guys. And there's more flexibility there that I think people are giving him credit for. But when you're looking at this guy, you're also talking about production. That's why I don't think uh, Trayvon Walker makes the most sense. If Jacksonville really wants Trayvon Walker, you're trading down with the Lions and allow Aiden Hutchinson to go number one overall. You know, because Hutchinson, he has the production. I don't see a number one overall pick that's ever been potential over the production. You know, the production has to be there if you're going to be taking a, a guy number one overall. Hutchinson absolutely has that. 2021, 16 tackles for loss, 14 sacks. And look, the 74 pressures, he was third in the FBS to just Will Anderson and Cameron Thomas. So he was living in opponents' backfields. He was able to show what he could do. Here's the one issue with, with that Trayvon Walker that I was mentioning. You know, the 32 and an eighth inch arms that Aiden Hutchinson has. When Trent Balky was the GM at four, uh, with the 49ers in San Francisco, he drafted... Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Buckner, you know guys that have more length as pass rushers, and so Trayvon Walker fits the bill there. He has much more length than Aiden Hutchinson. So, if there is any doubt there, then I think the Jaguars trade down. But Jaguars at one, I think all signs still point to Aiden Hutchinson. But again, what I would do is I would take Ikiakuanu number one overall, get my pass rusher in round two take care of Trevor Lawrence and, and see where we go from there. So with Jacksonville, and what we're going to do with this podcast is we're going to work through the first half uh, of round number one, get really through the first 16 teams because we have a lot of teams that are there that have multiple picks in round one. And we'll walk through the first three rounds of the draft because I did release my, my three-round mock draft uh, onto readyforthedraft.com. So it is there and available. When I look at the Jaguars and we're talking about the second round, looking at number 33 overall, mentioned that they do need a tackle, a guy that can also kick inside to guard. I'm looking at Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. 6'5", 324 pounds, the junior. He's he's very inexperienced, but this is a guy I think who could come in and and fill a hole there, fill a need at that guard position. He'll battle Ben Barge for a starting spot right there, but I think a guy that could definitely come in and and be a a potential difference maker and a guy that could play tackle down the road uh, as well. You get into round number three, Jacksonville's also going to be in, in need of a, of a wide receiver. You know, I, I think that's clear. When you look at, at Jacksonville 
and their roster. They lost DJ Chark. Uh, you need to add weapons for, for Trevor Lawrence. I think that's one of the things that's going to be key. They did sign uh, Zay Jones. They have Marvin Jones on the roster. They have Christian Kirk. You know, After that, there's also LaVisca Chenault. But I think you need another guy into the mix there. David Bell out of Purdue, uh, you know, a guy who's a, a great possession receiver and a guy that, that is physical down the field. I like him to be selected there in round number three at number 65 overall. And then you work further down into the draft. Jacksonville has a second pick, number 70, coming from Carolina. And this is where I think they go safety. Nick Cross out of Maryland, 6'2", 212. This is a guy that I think could go in there and immediately start for them. That right now their starters are Andrew Wingard and, and Rayshon Jenkins on the back end of the defense. They have Andre Sisco, Daniel Thomas. I think to really solidify that group, Nick Cross come in there and challenge for a starting spot right away. I think he and, and Andre Sisco, they have a couple of playmakers on the back end of that defense. So we move on to number two overall, and that is the Detroit Lions. And I really love what with Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, you know, what, what they're doing here. Um, you know, obviously they had to trade Matthew Stafford, who ultimately wins the Super Bowl in LA. But uh, you know, we saw that that tie against Pittsburgh in week ten. And then the Lions seemingly played with much more confidence. You know, you saw much more fire. They're playing hard for Dan Campbell. And while they did finish three and five in their final eight games, three of those losses were by four points or less. So they're coming along. There's talk that this could be a quarterback. Malik Willis moving up draft boards. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I look at Jared Goff. This is one of his better years. Posted the highest completion percentage in his career, 62, 67.2. Cut down on the mistakes. Fewest interception total, which was eight since 2017. He's not going anywhere. He has a, a $41.1 million dead cap uh, hit there per SpotTrack.com. Uh, but then the next year it drops $10 million. Malik Willis, yeah, you, you could go there, but I, I think when you look at the Lions, and, and again, I would love to see Aiden Hutchinson be the guy there, get the local product in, really hype up that fan base there in Detroit, but with, with Hutchinson off the board, then could this be Kayvon Thibodeau? I know that he spent some time with the Lions. This is a guy who was explosive coming off the edge. Makes a lot of sense to put him in there and pair with, with Charles uh, Charles Harris. Now, this is a team that really struggled to get after the quarterback. Uh, just 30 sacks on the year. And really what you're looking at is the trio of Charles Harris, Julian Aquara, and Austin Bryant combined for 17 of those 30 sacks. But no other player finished with at least two sacks. So, you know, that's really a problem for them. You know, they, they traded away. I'm sorry, they, they released uh, Trey Flowers. So you look at Trayvon Walker, he could potentially come in and fill that void. But what I love about Trayvon Walker in his game is he wasn't asked to be that pass rusher, right? You had all these other guys. You had the stunts and the confusion up front, and he ran that really, really well. Allowed those linebackers, you know, your playmakers crashing off the edge to get to the quarterback. But here's, here's what I loved. This was a guy who was able to set a hard edge. He was able to chase down ball carriers. Shoot, he was chasing receivers 40 yards down the field. Chasing running backs down from behind. And then he's dropping into coverage, reading the quarterback's eyes, almost picking off passes thrown over the middle. Uh, you know, he picked up Tate Bigsby when they played Auburn on a wheel route and is running stride for stride with him down the sideline. Yes, he has, uh, you know, some pass rush uh, or the potentials there, but he needs some work. You know, it's, it's still underdeveloped. 
But when you think about it, you pair him with, with Charles Harris, and and you've got a guy up front. This is, you know, look, he's he's got the size. He definitely has the length. He's 6'5", 272 pounds, but the guy could drop into coverage. The guy could do a little bit of everything. I really like the Lions to take Trevon Walker here if Aiden Hutchinson is not on the board. Um, and then you look at the Lions at 32. They get this draft pick from the Rams, and... I think, you know, a lot of people think this might be where a quarterback comes off the board. Possibly a Matt Corral, possibly Desmond Ritter. I actually have them going in a different direction. You know, you look at it and you know, they can even take a receiver, right? You know, they add a DJ Chark. That's not necessarily going to move the needle because he is coming off of a fractured ankle. Uh, but he is two years removed from a 1,000-yard season. If somehow Jahan Dotson or Jamison Williams were to fall, I think they could take him here. I think it might be a little bit too rich for, for Christian Watson to be a, a, a first-round pick, although I wouldn't rule it out. But I, I look at this, and I think this could be a, a safety uh, to pair with, with Tracy Walker. You need a guy on the back end of the defense. Uh, and I look at, at Daxton Hill, versatile chess piece, a guy that uh, you know, ran a 4 3 9 at the combine, so there's a box that's checked there for the speed. Uh, covers a lot of ground. A guy that you know he's instinctive, early recognition of the routes, showing that anticipation, able to undercut, make a play on the football. Covers uh, that that ground as well. Uh, coming downhill, zero wasted movement, sideline to sideline range against the run. Great job taking angles to the football as well. This guy could be a week one starter at safety and even has the potential to play corner if you need to as well. So, uh, you know, with the issues with Jeffrey Akuda, you know, I, I look at this, I think this is a day one starter. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, the Kobe Dean's another guy to, to be on the lookout for. They do need some linebacker help here. Uh, you know, uh, Jalen Reeves Maven, best player on, on that unit. Uh, you like uh, Alex Anzalone, what he was able to do. Derek Barnes, up and down season. Jared Davis, I don't think moves the needle. But I, I think at the end of the day, you're looking for an impact player there in round number one. Daxon Hill can absolutely do that for you. I think the Lions do have to come away with a quarterback in this draft. And, and a guy that I'm looking at is Sam Howell out of, out of North Carolina. A guy that can really push the football down the field. You've got your bridge quarterback in Jared Goff. If he does falter, then you've got your backup plan in Sam Howell. 6'1", 218, the junior out of UNC looked at one part you know, at one point to be the number one quarterback in this draft class uh, you know and I think he struggles at times with some of the accuracy the footwork doesn't always match uh, match up with things but look best deep ball of anybody I think in this draft and that includes Malik Willis you know what you have with Malik Willis is tremendous arm strength but uh, not always the best accuracy in ball placement that's where I think Howell really excels, but he struggles a lot of times with the accuracy on the short to intermediate routes, uh, which is why I think he ends up coming off the board ultimately in round number two. Then you look at round three, Lions. Again, I mentioned the linebacker position, Quay Walker out of Georgia, 6'4", 241. And I think Walker, there's a good chance he could be off the board um, in round number two. I think he's good enough. At one point when I was working through my mock draft, I thought Quay Walker was going to end up being a second round pick. Wound up falling to round number three in my scenario. Uh, but look, this is a guy, he's, he's versatile. He can drop into coverage. Uh, he has that sideline to sideline range. He can get after the quarterback, lives a little bit behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think that would be another guy that would be great, a great fit there for the Lions. And then I mentioned that they needed a receiver. And so Detroit at number 97, one of the compensatory picks, 
They go with Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati, 6'3", 211. This is a dude who is a, a burner at the receiver position. You know, vertical threat. We knew that he was always, you know, he was going to test well. Ran a 4'4", 140, 40 and a half inch vertical leap. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous athlete. It was an incredible weapon for Desmond Ritter. You know, this is a guy uh, who once thought just to be a, a red zone guy, but you know, he, he gets vertical. I want to see him run. You know, there's his route tree was a bit limited, but you know, again a guy that's going to be able to stretch the defense and I think with Detroit when you're looking at that that receiver core you know they need that vertical that the vertical presence DJ Chark has some speed you have Amon Ross St. Brown is more of a possession guy Josh Reynolds is your bigger receiver I think you get Alec Pierce in there stretches the defense for Jared Goff makes a lot of sense Houston number three overall right and so Houston sitting there at number three uh, you know, I, I debated back and forth with what Houston was going to do here. And, and really, it's it's a pass rusher or it's offensive line help, right? And, and so trying to debate with exactly what Houston was going to do. And, and look, Kayvon Thibodeau would improve upon that pass rush that tied for 30, 27th in sacks. This is a guy who is a baller. You know, he can come off the edge. He's a little bit raw with, with the, the pass rush ability. Quick first step. Not the not the best in terms of the bends. You don't always see the, the counter moves with him. But, man, he has all-out speed. And he's going to work hard getting to the quarterback. You know, they, they could use a safety in, in Kyle Hamilton. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, I, I think number three is a little bit too rich for Kyle Hamilton right now. But then you look at the offensive line. Offensive line continuing to be overhauled. Uh, couldn't open any holes for the running game. You know, it was the, the league's worst ru- rushing attack. Struggled to protect Davis Mills. 44 sacks given up. Now, look, Laramie Tunsil, you know, a big part of it is going to be his health, right? 2019, uh, arrived after the trade from Miami. Was a, was a pro bowler. Pro ball again in 2020, but then a thumb surgery put him on IR in 2021. So that might be cause for concern whether or not he's going to be able to return. Titus Howard, is he going to be your right tackle? He was playing inside at guard, uh, but is he going to end up being your right tackle? You know, there's a question there. Uh, exactly where he fits into to the equation. Charlie Heck, not going to be the answer there at right tackle. He, he's a guy that uh, I think at best is going to be your swing. Um, so I, I think you could have Titus Howard on a one guard position. Max Sharping probably at the other guard here. Justin McCray. Uh, and uh, I think ultimately... Uh, this is where Iki Aquanu will fit in well because look, he has the versatility. He can play, uh, you know, either tackle position. He can also bump into guard as well. Um, and this is a guy. Look, he's so physical. Uh, he's a pancake machine. He's gonna just bury guys. But then you watch the footwork. You know that that's combined. So he has the power and intensity in the ground game, and then the footwork and lateral agility as a pass protector. Versatile, versatile guy. Day one starter. Plug and play. Um, could Aquanu go number one overall? Sure. Could he go number four to the Jets? Absolutely. Giants of five? Sure. Houston, at the end of the day, I think, again, you got to you gotta shore up the offensive line. And I talked about that with uh, the Jacks potentially taking Evan Neal. I, I think at the end of the or Aquanu, I think at the end of the day, uh, Aquanu's got to be the, the, the guy here in Houston. Shore up that offensive line. You could potentially do that with, with Charles Cross if he falls to 13, but I think you got to shore up that offensive line. Then you can look pass rusher after that. Houston, though, I think at 13, when, when Kyle Hamilton falls to them, that's going to be really interesting. I, I think Houston could go just BPA, best player available. 
Jermaine Johnson could potentially be the pick here if he doesn't go to the Giants at number seven. Uh, but you look at Kyle Hamilton, look, 6'4", 220. Yes, I know he ran a 4.59 at the, at the combine. Then he runs a 4.7 at his pro day. But the tape tells you something different. The tape shows a guy who plays a lot faster than at time speed. You know, the instincts, the angles to the football, this is a difference maker on the back end of a defense. And that's why I'm looking at him. Number 13, look, you lost Justin Reed. You get a guy who's going to be the quarterback for that secondary, Kyle Hamilton. Number 13 overall to Houston. So then you move on to the second round. And when you're looking at the second round, I think this is where you get your pass rusher. And for Houston, um, there's a chance that David Ojabo could fall. Look, he tore his Achilles. Um, so there's some question there about his health. But you know, after Cam Akers returning to the Rams six months after he tore his Achilles, I think there's a good chance that David Ojabo could be available much sooner. He could be a first rounder. In which case, I think they would pivot from that from him to Arnold Ebiketti here. But I'm going with David Ojabo right now. 6'4", 250 out of Michigan. We know that he's a sack machine, a guy that really paired well with Aiden Hutchinson. I think, you know, Ojabo, you know, look, you know, if you go offensive line and potentially even get Kyle Hamilton there, then you still have the ability. There are going to be pass rushers who can can move the needle and get after the quarterback. Um, you know, if Ojabo does fall, those 11 stacks in 2021, you know, again, I think it makes a lot of sense for Houston to get that pass rush help beginning of day two. And then you look at the third round. Houston at the top of round number three, they need a receiver. You know, I think they absolutely need some receiver help. And when you look at that, that receiving core as of right now, you've got Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, Chris Conley, Chris Moore. They lack some difference makers. I'm looking at Jalen Tolbert out of uh, South Alabama. Uh, you know, a guy who's got some pretty good range, uh, a lot faster than I think people were giving him credit for. Ran a 4.49, 40 at the combine, 36-inch vertical leap, uh, 6'1", 194, big hands as a receiver as well. He's a guy that I think can stretch the defense a little bit and uh, be a red zone option for Davis Mills. And then Houston coming back again in round number three with a second pick. Uh, this one they get from New Orleans, number 80 overall. And I've got him taking Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M, 6'217", 217 pounds, the junior. Look, you know, what's the future of of, uh, of David Johnson? You know, that's really a big question mark. You know, they, they, they've got Royce Freeman. There's Rex Burkhead. They, they also signed Marlon Mack. And, uh, you know, if Marlon Mack stays healthy, he could potentially, he has the potential to be a thousand yard rusher. But I, I think you add another running back to the mix. Isaiah Spiller, a guy who's physical, runs hard between the tackles. I think he lacks that additional burst to take it to the to the next level, take it to the house. But I think he's a, he's a physical presence and uh, a, a guy who I think would be a nice addition to that backfield. Um, you know, and so I think that would be uh, really would behoove Houston to get some weapons there on offense before the end of day two. Moving on to the Jets. They're at number four overall. And look, there's some debate here with what the Jets should do. Should the Jets go offensive line? And whether it's, you know, Ike Aquanu or Evan Neal, one of them is likely to be here. They could both potentially be here if pass rushers go one, two, and three, and there's a good chance that that could happen if you have Hutchinson, Walker, and Thibodeau come off the board one, two, three. Pass rushers, premium position. Same with offensive line, though. 
I look at the Jets and I, I see what they've already done up front on that offensive line. You know, I know that there's some trouble with Mackay Beckton's inability to stay on the field. Um, you know, but at the guard position, I think you're set. You know, you should feel pretty comfortable about uh, the play of Elijah Vera Tucker. You also bring in Lakin Tomlinson from the 49ers. Connor McGovern's going to be at your pivot. George Fan is the big question mark at right tackle. If you are satisfied with the play of George Fant, then you don't have to go offensive line here. I think you can wait until day two and get another tackle to be in that competition. Uh, I look at this pick. Could it be a corner? Could it be Ahmad Sauce Gardner? I had him here as I was working through my mock draft. Uh, DJ Reed was brought in. You have a lot of young guys there at the position. Uh, you know, DJ Reed, Bryce Hall, Michael Carter II, Brandon Eccles. Um, I, I, I think they're okay there at that position. I think they'll still end up drafting a corner, but I don't think they need to go there. Uh, receiver might be a little early for them, but I, they are going to target a receiver. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But offensive tackle, if that's not, not the play there, then defensively look. Pass defense gave up the third most yards through the air, also giving up 73 pass plays of at least 20 yards. So, like I said, Ahmad Sauce Gardner does make sense, but again, you're giving up a lot of those those pass plays because you're not being able to get to the quarterback. Pass rush was among the league's worst. Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, you got to come out of the draft with at least one pass rusher. Let's not overthink it. Carl Lawson needs some help putting pressure on the quarterback. Kayvon Thibodeau is the most dynamic edge rusher in this draft. I think that's the guy that you've got to target. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think for uh, for the Jets, it would behoove them. You know, who do you have uh, rushing the quarterback besides Carl Lawson right now? You know, you've got Jacob Martin that you that you picked up in, in free agency, and you know that's a nice piece, but that really doesn't move the needle. It just doesn't. And with Kayvon Thibodeau, you're getting a guy who's going to be able to get after the quarterback with. with with a lot of frequency, to be to be perfectly honest with you, this is a guy who, uh, again, we've already mentioned that, that he doesn't he lacks some of the bend and he lacks some of the uh, the counter moves and such. But look, Kayvon Thibodeau is is the real deal, and there's a reason why for a long time he was considered the number one pick. And what's changed? What's really changed? You know, 19 sacks, 35 and a half tackles for loss, three-year starter. Tremendous burst off the ball. Constant stress on the outside shoulder off the offensive tackle coming off the edge. Great job dipping that inside shoulder, leading into that arc to get into the offensive tackle's pad level, but also has the power in his hands to strike and rip through before flattening out to the quarterback. Tremendous burst to close. I think what's so impressive is how he's able to shoot his hands into the tackle, then allows him to create early separation by extending allows him to go to work after that. Bull rush is also impressive. Speed to power, overpowering those offensive tackles. Looks to beat the blockers on the edge, getting to the quarterback, and then against the run, I think he's best in pursuit. Uses that speed, the relentlessness, all-out motor, chasing down the ball carrier from behind, blows up the play. Um, so, Thibodeau to the Jets there at number four. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then, after that, what do you do at number 10? And I think you could go in a couple of different directions. You could go with, with a corner. I don't think Sauce Gardner will be there. Could Derek Stingley? That's a possibility. Uh, but I think you have to go receiver at this point. Uh, when you look at the receiver position, you've got Corey Davis. He was solid when he was on the field, but he did battle injuries. 
Elijah Moore showed that he could be a vertical threat as a rookie. Braxton Berrios, the cult hero down the stretch, earned a contract extension this offseason. But what Joe Douglas needs to get Zach Wilson is a, a wide receiver one. You know, he got a couple of tight ends. He's got CJ uh, Uzoma. He's got Tyler, Tyler Conklin. So he's got some starting caliber tight ends as well. But he's missing wide receiver one. True go-to weapon for Wilson. And I think that's going to be Drake London. Drake London, look. Former two-sport star at USC. Also saw time with the basketball team. Um, basketball skills on display on the football field. He, he attacks the football in the air like he's going after a rebound. You see the body control, the ability to keep the DB on his hip as he extends for the football while showing those tremendous hands to secure the pass. Easy to see that he's at the top in terms of the contested catch. We know that. And he did double duty in his first two seasons, but here's why I'm so excited. He decided to focus on football full-time his junior season, and that leap in play was incredible. Through just eight games, 88 catches, over 1,000 yards, 1,084 to be uh, exact, and seven touchdowns, broken ankle on a touchdown, by mind you, against Arizona on Halloween, ended the season. And here's the thing. Teams knew that Drake London was, was USC's offense. Double-digit targets every single game. Yet nobody was able to slow him down. Number 15 was balling. And look, I know I've heard the comparisons already. Hey, look, big body Pac-12 receivers underperformed at the next level to kill Harry, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. But London is not that same type of player. To kill Harry, Arcega-Whiteside, strictly straight line players. Doesn't bode well for them in terms of separation. But London, the play on the court, allows him with the route running being able to sink his hips, being able to move laterally, you see that in his route running. The nuance into his route running as a junior, uh, being able to get out of his breaks. And then look, once he has the ball in his hands, he, he's he's known to run through some, some tacklers. He's dragging defenders for extra yards. Um, he was basically a favorite target of Keaton Slovis. And then, uh, you know, there at USC, basically looking for number 15 whenever he could. And I imagine... Zach Wilson will be doing much of the same there for the Jets. I really like Drake London. He could go as high as, as number eight to uh, the Falcons if the Falcons don't, don't go quarterback. But I, I think London at number 10 makes a lot of sense. And uh, the Jags get there, or the Jets get their number one wideout. They get their corner. Mentioned the, that, hey, they, they've given up 73 passes uh, of 20 plus yards. They get the corner in round number two. Kair Elam out of Florida, 6'1", 191, the junior. I had him going to Cincinnati in the first round for a little while uh, before I produced uh, my, my mock draft that I've just released. And, and Kair Elam fall into round number two, number 35 overall. The Jets get a bigger corner to pair with, with DJ Reed. Then you've got a lot of the youngsters there as well. Uh, so I will hopefully solidify that group for the Jets. Um uh, Jets have a second pick in round two, sitting there at number 38. They get from Carolina, and uh, I think they need to go safety. And uh, you know, you got Jor- uh, Jordan Whitehead, you know, Ashton Davis. You know, I-, I think the jury's still out with him. You get another safety. You get Jaquan Brisker, 6'1", 199, the-, the safety out of Penn State, the junior. This is the guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's got the range over the top. He's got the speed. Uh, Coming downhill, the, the no wasted movement comes downhill in that running game. Very physical, takes good angles, and then he's a difference maker on the back end against the pass. Reads the quarterback's eyes really well, drives on the football, excellent ball skills. I think this would really help solidify that unit on the back end for the for the Jets as well. We talk about that pass defense struggling. 
safety, you could absolutely uh, you know, do worse than, than bringing in a guy like that. And then the Jets at 69 in the third round. This is where they get their offensive tackle. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, 6'5", 316. He was a guy who started at right tackle, and then they moved him to left. I think he's a better right tackle than he is on the left side. I think there were times where he struggled. Um, but, again, a much better option for the Buckeyes at left tackle than Thayer Munford, who really is a guard. Uh, they get a, a guy who can battle George Fant for that starting spot. You know, They also have Chuba Adoga on the roster as well. Uh, I, I think looking at the Jets, if they go pass rush and receiver on, on day one and then day two, solidify that, that secondary, get an offensive lineman as well, then I think you're really setting well for, for the Jets moving on to day three of the draft. At number five overall, the New York football giants, as Chris Berman loves to call them. And the G-Men, they've got a new head coach, Brian Dable. And, uh, you know, hey, they can really make some headway for this team uh, with, with two picks in the top ten. And uh, I think Joe Schoen, you know, really looking at you know, what to do on that offensive line because really that offensive line was, was pretty terrible. Signs, guards, Mark Lewinsky, Jamil Douglas, and then center, John Feliciano, the versatile Max Garcia, who can play both guard and center. So you really solidified that group on the interior of that line. Andrew Thomas, the lone carryover, expected to start at one tackle spot, but the other position really is going to be up in the air. Nate Solder's a free agent. He's not expected back. Evan Neal, 6'7", 337 pounds. Dable, look, he's got Tyson Nick Saban, having been the, the team's offensive coordinator in 2017. I look at Evan Neal, and this is another physical freak, man. I mean, when he showed up at the Combine at, at, as a svelte 337-pounder, uh, so light on his feet as a pass protector, you watch him, the you know, the balance, the, the ability to mirror his man. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that's so impressive. And you watch him in the ground game, the physicality, driving his man off the ball, you know, and really taking him three, four, five, six yards down the field intelligent player uh, 41 starts there at Bama gave up just two sacks I believe and over 600 pass uh, 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 pass plays there at Bama I think the Giants solidify that offensive front there at number five which will then take you to uh, the number seven pick which uh, obviously just two picks later if Kayvon Thibodeau's there I think you end up getting Thibodeau here's why you, know, you had Aziz Ojulari, a gem of a pickup in the second round a season ago. Um, eight sacks, led the team. Lorenzo Carter's on the move. So now Leonard Williams is the only player on the roster with more than five sacks. Thibodeau and Aziz Ojulari, that would be ridiculous. Jermaine Johnson, if he's there, I think he'll garner some consideration. But look, there's been a lot of talk about James Bradbury. They're talking about all signs pointing to him being traded before the draft, likely to KC. Wink Martindale's defense needs playmakers on the back end. Sauce Gardner is going to be that guy. 6'3", 190 pounds. The junior, great size, you know, the length, 33 and a half inch arms. 4'4", 140, so he's got great speed for his size. Instincts are off the charts. His ability to play in both press man and zone is apparent. Dominated the competition while at Cincinnati. Nine interceptions, 16 pass breakups in his career. Did not surrender a single touchdown in three seasons with the Bearcats. 
you get your corner there, and you know ultimately if, if Radbury's gone, then he steps in for a starting spot right away opposite Adoree Jackson. Then you're looking at round number two. Where do the Giants go? Is this where they get their pass rusher? What if Brees Hall is sitting there? The 5'11", 217-pounder out of Iowa State, the junior. You know, you've got Saquon Barkley, but you're, you know, the, his future with the with the, the team is, is kind of up in the air. So I, I think you get a guy like Brees Hall, a guy who can be a difference maker in the passing game for Daniel Jones. It's a break, make or break year for him. So you add additional weapons there as well. Uh, Brees Hall, 6'1", uh, you know, like I mentioned, and you're really good size for, for the position overall. I'm sorry, 5'11", 217 pounds, measuring in at 6'1", at Iowa State, uh, lost a couple of inches there. Uh, but he was sixth in the Heisman voting in 2020, 10th in 2021, back-to-back seasons over 1,400 yards, uh, a guy who has 50 touchdowns in his career, but 82 receptions. That's one of the thing, one of the keys. You watch the hands, his ability. There are some plays where he's making one-handed catches out there. You see a guy who's able to, you know, especially in in some of the zones, the wide zone runs. You know, he, he has the vision to see the, the the holes, the cutback lanes, and then he runs to daylight. He's physical, excellent feet to make guys miss in the hole as well. Uh, a, a guy who. I think some people were, were saying his long speed wasn't really there, but then he runs a 4.3940, 40 inch vertical leap. And again, stop and start in the hole, the vision, the cutback ability. The Giants, if they can get Brees Hall, I mean, we were talking about it, you could potentially get Evan Neal, Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall. I mean, to me, that feels like an A right out of the gate. Then you move on to round number three. And when I say A, I mean, I'm talking about a, a draft grade. Round number three, this is where the Giants can get their pass rusher. I'm looking at Nick Benito there out of Oklahoma, 6'3", 248 pounds. And, and the deal with, with Benito, uh, a guy who I think is going to be a situational pass rusher, at least early on, but a guy who has tremendous bend, uh, you know, coming off that edge, has you know has the burst to get to the quarterback, another relentless player. It was basically see ball, get ball for him. 33 tackles for loss, 19 and a half sacks in his career. Also seven pass breakups, so does a good job getting his hands up into the throwing lane. And then the Giants with another, this is another team who has multiple picks in round number three. 81 overall from Miami, Greg Dulcich out of UCLA. 6'4", 243 pounds, a guy who could definitely stretch defense up the seam. And look, you know, Dulcich, he put on a show at the combine. I think that's where he really kind of separated himself from some of the other guys, ran a 4'6", 40. He's another guy that, to keep an eye out for. But when you talk about the Giants, they lost Evan Neal. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Evan Ingram in free agency. They also lost Kyle Rudolph. Ricky Seals-Jones was brought in, but you need to have another tight end. And I think you, you get Dulcich, again, another weapon in the passing game. He's improving as a blocker. Um, I really like that pick there uh, in the middle of round number three for the Giants. We move from the Giants to the Falcons. I'm sorry, before we do that, let's back up and let's actually go to the Carolina Panthers sitting there at number six. I move from seven to eight. We forgot about the Panthers sitting there at six. And I think this is a make or break year for for Matt Rule. You know, trouble is brewing there in Carolina. Uh, This is the guy who's known for his collegiate turnarounds with Temple and Baylor. Um, Transition to the NFL, much more difficult. Sam Darnold's on the roster, but we know he's not the answer. They're flirting with possibly bringing Cam Newton back, but 
look, that's not really going to be the long-term situation either. They were in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Ultimately, they lost out, obviously, to, Cle uh, to Cleveland there. So Scott Fitterer, I think you have to find your guy. Is it going to be Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis? I, you know, and look, a lot of signs point towards Malik Willis being the guy because of his athleticism. Uh, most athletically gifted guy. Uh, actually played on the 7-7 tournament team there. Uh, uh, Newton's 7-on-7 seven -seven tournament. Also went to Newton's high school. But Kenny Pickett looks to be the most actual NFL-ready quarterback in the draft class. Once committed to play for Rule at Temple. One of the things I've noticed with Matt Rule is he likes to go after guys that he's familiar with and he's definitely familiar with Kenny Pickett I mean you can look at his roster you know guys from Temple guys from Baylor guys that he knows there are plenty of guys on the roster from from Robbie Anderson to now Matt uh, Ioannidis that he brought in as well also drafted Bravion Roy so uh, you know there, there's plenty of guys that you can go down the line with with, with Matt Rule there but uh, I think ultimately when you're talking about who you're going to take here if you're satisfied with, with Sam Darnold, and you think that you'll be okay there. You let Matt, you know Malik Willis sit. There's your guy. But I think Matt Rule doesn't have the luxury of being able to wait. If Carolina is not good enough this year, I think Matt Rule is fired. So I think for him, he's going to be pushing Scott Fitterer to get a guy to get under center right away. I think Kenny Pickett ends up winning out. Now look, all the talk about his hands, eight, eight, and five eighths inch hands. Uh, likely a contributor to those 26 career fumbles. Obviously, there's there's some concern there. But uh, look, this is a guy, at the end of the day, uh, past Dan Marino, uh, you know, in terms of the passing list, and then Alex Van Pelt for most career touchdowns at, at Pitt. And what I like with him is the ability to throw that, that deep ball, throw the ball down the field, good anticipation, Ball placement, vertical throws, puts it over the outside shoulder, throwing his receivers open. That's what I really, uh, really see there for him. Um, able to manipulate the pocket, extend the play with his eyes down the field. Better athlete that people give him credit for. Ran a four-seven-three forty. ACC championship that fake slide on, on that fifty-eight-yard touchdown. You saw the speed there as well. I mean, look, how often can a guy say that the the NCAA had to come in and institute a rule? based on something that you did. Creativity there, you know, at the quarterback position as well. Um, he does have his limitations, though. Um, struggles to drive the ball if his feet aren't set under him. Too often, the anticipation was lacking on those intermediate throws. Defenders able to jump the routes in the process. And for his ability to manipulate the pocket, he will get happy feet too often and look to vacate the pocket, even when it's not needed. So there are some things to clean up, but you saw the growth in his play under Mark Whipple, um, who has an offense you know, that's tailor-made for the NFL. I think with, with Kenny Pickett, can Carolina really take those, uh, those tools that he's been able to hold in 2021 and move it to the next level? That's really going to be the biggest concern there for Carolina. Uh, because look, when you're talking about the Panthers, do they have a, a second-round pick? They do not. Do they have a third-round pick? You already heard me mention that, that Carolina did not have one on the books. So, obviously, there's going to be cause for concern there uh, with Carolina getting things right with this pick. And I think at the end of the day, you have to go with the guy that you're going to be putting under center right away because we know Sam Darnold is going to be the guy. So, I think this is going to end up being Kenny Pickett. Now, we can move on to Atlanta. 
And I'm looking at the Falcons. Obviously, the Matt Ryan era is over. You know, you're talking about arguably the greatest Falcon in history, uh, MVP of the 2016 season, all-time leading passer for the Falcons, four-time Pro Bowler as well. They bring him, or they, they trade him to Indy. They bring in Marcus Mariota. There's familiarity there with, with Arthur Smith, but this just feels like a, a bridge quarterback. I think at the end of the day, you're going to be seeing uh, Atlanta drafting a quarterback here at number eight. Uh, you know, the GM, Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith, uh, David Ragone, the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, Charles London. They were all at the pro days for all the top quarterbacks. And really what I look at, at things is w- with Malik Willis, you have a guy who is from the area. Frankly, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is kind of crazy when, when you're talking about Malik Willis is he, he's from the Atlanta area. And I think that's a great marketing tool for Atlanta, getting people in and really getting some excitement there in uh, in your fan base. You know, he attended Westlake High in Roswell, Georgia. Um, you know, people are calling him the right-handed Michael Vick because of the elusiveness in the pocket, his dynamic playmaking ability with his legs, cannon for an arm. Um, I, I think it just ma- makes way too much sense, you know, getting that local product in. Um, you know, I, I think it would be difficult not to target a receiver here, you know, especially when you're talking about the fact that, uh, you know, Russell Gage is now in Tampa, Calvin Ridley uh, was suspended for at least the 2022 season for betting on games. Uh, Alameda Zacchaeus is their lone receiver on the roster with at least 30 receptions. And he was fifth on the list behind uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, Gage, and a couple of running backs. They're a desperate need of weapons. Garrett Wilson, Drake London could easily fit the bill as a wide receiver one. I think they're going to double up on receivers on day two. I really do. Uh, but I think they have to get their quarterback here, make sure that they have their future set. You know, From Josh Allen to Lamar Jackson to Justin Herbert, we've seen athletic quarterbacks whose talent was undeniable. It's easy to pick apart their play. Uh, but look, you know, with, with in Malik Willis's case, he's playing behind maybe the worst offensive line in the FBS. Uh, the effortless delivery of the football, especially down the football field, is apparent. Ability to, to quickly process defenses coming off, you know, his first, sometimes second options, firing a strike to a wide open receiver as his number three option. Outside the pocket, dynamic with his feet against unblocked defenders, often making those downfield passes on a line look easy even without setting his feet. Improvise off schedule, changes his arm angles as well as a runner, blend of speed, elusiveness, and power to run by you around you or even through you his 878 rushing yards good for second among fbs quarterbacks i mean you could tell he was pressing in the second half of the season he struggled to process the play quick enough in front of him uh, especially while it was under duress his eyes would drop to the rush rather than keeping his eyes down the field pocket presence is going to need work but i mean when you're playing behind that offensive line you know, that's really what what he was battling and really what he was up against so it's natural for his eyes to drop a little bit. I, I, I can remember Brett Humley getting beat up there at UCLA and that eye, you know, the eye discipline, it, it really was difficult because he was always under duress there for, for the, the Bruins. Similar situation there with Malik Willis, but I think Malik Willis is a special talent who can learn from uh, Marcus Mariota for a year or so and then ultimately be able to take over the reins. I think that really makes a lot of sense. Falcons on day two. I mentioned receivers. Christian Watson, North Dakota State, 6'4", 208. If 
He does not come off the board in round one. I think this would be a great guy who could, has that potential to be a wide receiver one. I really believe that. 4 3 6 40, 38, 8.5-inch vertical leap, hands over 10 inches. So this dude has tremendous hands to pluck the football out of the air. 18.5 yards per reception. I think for him, uh, getting him here it would be a no-brainer. You move on from that, and Atlanta at 58, you get another receiver, another guy that can push the field vertically, John Mechie, 5'11", 187 pounds. Know that he's battling that ACL injury, uh, but a guy, that, again, at his best, a vertical threat, and uh, just another weapon that you're adding to the, to, uh, to the stable there. So when you're thinking about Christian Watson, John Mechie, Kyle Pitts, Olamide Zacchaeus, things are starting to look a little bit better there for Malik Willis with some weapons. Then I think on uh, you know in that third round, really what you have to do after that is, is start targeting some pass rush help because this is one of the worst uh, pass rushes in, in the league. I think 18 sacks a season ago, I mean, that's just not going to get it done. So abysmal were, were the Falcons. I'm looking at USC's Drake Jackson there in round number three. I think that's good value. 6'3", 254, the junior. Look, you know, he can bend coming off the edge, but you, know, you didn't see the versatility with his pass rush moves. You didn't see a lot of the counters. Uh, a guy who has a lot of talent, a lot of the traits are there, but I just I wonder, you know, as far as being coached up, uh, you just you didn't see a lot to his game. You were expecting to see him develop there at SC, and it just didn't happen. Uh, Falcons again, I think additional you know pass rush help and really also solidifying that linebacking core. Channing Tindall out of Georgia, 6'2", 230 pounds, a guy who can't get after the quarterback, has that sideline to sideline range against the run. I think that'd be a nice pickup there for Atlanta uh, at the uh, really the middle of uh, of round number three, 82 overall in a pick that they got from the Colts in that Matt Ryan deal. So now moving on to the number nine overall pick. And this is a pick that Seattle was able to secure in uh, the, the Russell Wilson trade. And when you look at this, this could very well be a quarterback, right? I mean, it's hard to picture Pete Carroll, who's 70 years of age. No signs of slowing down, though. I just don't see him wanting to go through a rebuild. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Quarterback position needs to be addressed. You've got Drew Locke right now. Largely been a disappointment in Denver. Could we see them try to make a move to get either Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis? It's possible, but I think right now the focus should be potentially you know addressing that defense. You look at you know that that cornerback position. Legion of Boom is gone. If Ahmad Sauce Gardner falls here, you know you've got also De Derek Stigley ran that four three seven forty at his pro day. That makes a lot of sense, right? But the biggest need really is up front on that offensive line. Both of their tackles, both Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell are unsigned. Charles Cross is the best pure pass protector in this year's draft class. A natural fit at that left tackle position if Brown isn't brought back. 6'5", 307, redshirt sophomore. I think ultimately Seattle gets it done here. Look, Mike Leach, former Washington State head coach, now at Mississippi State. I could see Pete Carroll getting on the horn, talking to Mike Leach, confirming what he has there with that offensive tackle, bringing Charles Cross at the end of the day. I think you know, I, I really like that selection there for Seattle. Round number two, look, they no longer have Bobby Wagner. They, they let him go. He's now with the Rams. So with the number 40 overall pick that you got from Denver as part of the, Will, of the Wilson trade, go after Nicobe Dean out of Georgia. 5'11", 229. A, a guy who sideline to sideline ability, the best 
blitzing linebacker, a guy that can drop into coverage a little bit as well. The, the lack of size, I think, drops to round number two. Great pickup here at number 40. They've got the very next pick, 41 overall. I think this is where Arnold Abichetti goes, 6'2", 250 pounds, and this pass rusher, he's a guy that can get after the quarterback, he can bend, run the arc. Um, when you're looking at the Leo, Rasheed Green still unsigned, you know, you did bring in Shelby Harris, uh, who's going to be a you know, defensive end or defensive tackle there on, on that line, but you need to get some pass rush help. Alton Robinson was a nice surprise. I think you need to continue to add to that group. And so Arnold Ebichetti, absolutely a guy that we know can get after the quarterback. Uh, you know, a guy that started his career at Temple, moved on to Penn State, nine and a half sacks as a senior with the Nittany Lions. I think that would really help start to grow and solidify that pass rush a little bit there for the Seahawks. And then in round number three, 72 overall, I mentioned the Legion of Boom not being there any longer. I mean... You look at Tariq Woolen, they're out of UTSA, 6'4", 205. I mean, it just feels like a Pete Carroll guy um, if you want to bring back the old Legion of Boob. Uh, Tariq Woolen, look, you know, straight line speed is absolutely ridiculous, 4'2", 42-inch vertical leap, so he's got some, some of that explosiveness. Struggled a little bit with some of the agility drills, so some of that sideline to sideline, maybe a little bit stiffer in the hips, but definitely a guy who has some upside converted receiver. Um, so we know that he does have the ball skills there. Might need a little bit of development at, at the, the, the corner position, but I, I like the value there in round number three, which leads us to the Washington Commanders. Sitting there at number 11, came into the offseason, quarterback, you know, another team that was quarterback desperate. Um, Carson Wentz is brought in. They can focus on other sides of, you know, Holes on either side of the football, right? So you look at the defense, gave up the most passing touchdowns, fourth most passing yards a season ago. They did get solid, solid production out of Kendall Fuller, Bobby McCain. I'm looking at Daryl Stingley. I think he would absolutely be a plug-and-play option team with Fuller in the slot. William Jackson on the outside. They get a solid trio at corner. Um, I think... Ultimately, though, you look at that receiver position, and outside of Terry McLaurin, who's had posted back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, they, they the coverage pretty much bare at that receiver position. Um, and I think Scary Terry is one of the most underrated receivers. He needs a guy to complement him, so whether it's Garrett Wilson or Drake London on the board here, I think it would behoove Washington to pull the trigger and get their guy. Washington Commanders, Garrett Wilson, six foot, 183 pounds. And what I love about Wilson is he can be that vertical threat Sudden, strung off the line of scrimmage, quick acceleration vertically, able to sink those hips, generate separation, quick cuts out of his brakes, incredible hands, ability to go up and extend for the football in traffic. And look, I think he ran faster than people were expecting at the combine. Um, when you look at, at Wilson, ran a 4.38. I think people were expecting him in the 4.4s, 36-inch vertical leap, good explosive numbers overall. So I think that makes a lot of sense for the commanders in round number one. Round number two, Washington, again, I, I think they have a chance to get the top tight end in the draft. Trey McBride, 6'4", 246, the guy who ran in the 4'5s uh, at his pro day there for Colorado State. And uh, a guy who, look, he was a vertical uh, machine there for Colorado State. He was really the, the go-to weapon, a guy that had uh, double-digit targets. You don't see that often for tight ends with that. But look, 90 catches, over 1,100 yards, and, and a touchdown. When you're looking at Washington and uh, and what the commanders need, at that tight end spot, you've got Logan Thomas, 
John Bates, I, I guess, will be your number two tight end right now. You need another weapon there at the tight end position. And I think Trey McBride would absolutely bring that to the position. Do they have a third round pick is going to be the next question. They don't. They, they ultimately, that was given up as part of the uh, Carson Wentz trade. So the Colts have that at number 73 overall. But I, I think Washington, you know, get some weapons there in that passing game to help out Carson Wentz. We know Wentz is going to need weapons. So I think it would make a lot of sense for them to go ahead and pull the trigger there. Number 12, the Minnesota Vikings. So Mike Zimmer's out. Kevin O'Connell is in. At one point, I actually had Malik Willis going to the Vikings, but Kirk Cousins looks like he's going to be wide receiver one. Signed an extension that keeps him through uh, 2023. Security on the offensive side moves him to the defense. Um, Zadarius Smith pairing went with Daniel Hunter, Jordan Hicks, teaming with Eric Kendricks, Harrison Phillips, teaming with Dalvin Tomlinson. So they've made some moves there to help out Ed Donatel's 34 defense. Um, I think the pick, though, needs to look up, really focus on that secondary. 28th against the pass, giving up over 4,300 yards a season ago. Patrick Peterson was brought back on a one-year deal. You've got Cam Dantzler, who's shown some promise. But Derek Stingley would, would absolutely be the missing league here. One of the most polarizing guys in the draft. Look, freshman All-American in 2019, put together one of the most dominant debut performances, picked off six passes, breaking up another 15, and just the instincts, it was undeniable what he was able to do. Sticky and man-to-man, smothering his receiver on the outside, instinctive and off coverage, driving on the ball, no wasted movement. Um, injuries cut short each of his next two seasons. His play was inconsistent, seemed to get a little complacent when, when he was playing. But uh, if anybody knows the character of Derek Stingley, it's going to be um, the LSU DC from a season ago, Durante Jones, who's now the DB coach in Minnesota. His familiarity is going to come in handy for the Vikings. And look, after he ran that 4-3-7, looks like the, the Liz Frank injury is completely healed. Um, he looked great in, in, in the drills as well, fluidity of those hips, being able to turn and run. Um, I think Stigley has a chance to be a top 10 pick. If I'm Minnesota and I want this guy, um, I'm looking to try to trade up and you know potentially target Seattle there at number nine. Um, you know, really try to move up and get Derek Stigley. Uh, Minnesota just feels like the right pick. I just don't know where it's going to be. Um, but I think if they get that corner there in round number one, I, I still think Minnesota has to focus on the defensive side of the football. Mentioned how bad the, the pass defense was. I'm looking at Jalen Petrie there in round number two, 5'11", 198. Uh, instinctive is one of the things that comes to mind. Ferocious. You watch him play. He reminds you a lot of Tyron Matthew. The instincts, the ball skills, a guy that's going to come downhill and uh, you make some blow up. Uh, run plays, blow up guys coming over the middle. Um, he can be an intimidator on the back end of the defense. I really like like him to the to the Vikings. He can play, pair up with uh, Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith is aging a little bit, so he can also end up replacing him as the guy there on the back end of the defense when it's all said and done. And then I mentioned that that the linebacker position. Eric Kendricks is another guy that's starting to get up there in age. So I'm looking at Leo Chanel, uh, 6'3", 250 there out of Wisconsin. He's the guy that I think could ultimately end up taking over that spot. You, know, you have to start thinking about the future, start planning for it now. 4'5", 3'40", 40.5-inch vertical leap, a guy that's repping out you know, 225 at ease, 420 pound bench press, 385 pound clean, um, a guy who just flies around to the football. And when you think about him, 
You know, he, he was weighing in at 262 when he was playing. And you think, well, he's just a guy that's just all he can do is, is come downhill. He's just a thumper. Well, he has some more lateral agility than you'd really give him credit for. Uh, 115 tackles, 18 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks. A guy that can get after the quarterback as well. I think round three feels like the sweet spot for him. I think Minnesota would really do well to get him in there uh, on that roster. Which takes us to the Baltimore Ravens at number 14. And I think this pick is ultimately going to be one of two picks. Uh, you know, And obviously, we thought it was going to be an offensive tackle. Everyone thought Trevor Penning was going to be the guy. Morgan Moses was signed in the offseason in free agency, so it's no longer going to be a tackle. Bradley Bozeman left for Carolina. This is going to be Tyler Linderbaum, right? Everybody is picking Tyler Linderbaum here. But the Ravens don't run a, a zone-heavy offense. And so when you look at a Tyler Linderbaum, who's 6'2", 296, has those 31-inch arms, I, I just don't see that fitting into what the Ravens want to do. So I really think that this is going to be addressed on the defensive side of the football. And one of those, you know, I think corner solidifying that, that quarterback spot, Jimmy Jimmy Smith is a free agent, so Trent McDuffie could be in play. But really this is going to come down to one or two spots. I think when you look at that nose tackle position, Michael Pierce was brought in. You know, he was re-signed, uh, you know, signed away. I think it was the Giants where he was at before. He's back, uh, or no, maybe it was Minnesota. But he's back with Baltimore. Uh, does he move the needle there in the middle of that defense? Jordan Davis feels like a guy that could absolutely come off the board here at 14 to the Ravens. But then you've got uh, Jermaine Johnson still sitting out there at 6'5", 254 out of Florida. Uh, Florida State, you know, the transfer there from Georgia. When you think about the, this group, um, you know, David Ojabo felt like a natural selection here to reunite him with, with Odafe Owe, his high school teammate. Uh, you know, Justin Houston, free agent. Pernell McPhee, also a free agent. So you need to address that pass rush, absolutely, first and foremost. Uh, you know, I, I think that's that's has to be priority number one, right? I mean, you know, You've got Odafe Owe. He's still a developing pass rusher. You need to get him some help. And when you look at, at Jermaine Johnson, 11 and a half sacks after his move from, from Georgia to Florida State as a grad transfer. Ran a 4.5840 at the combine. This dude was virtually unblockable at the senior bowl as well. So really the pre-draft process helped Johnson, who probably was looking at as, as a second-round pick um, at, at season's end, possibly a fringe first-round player. Now he's, he's comfortably there in the first half of round number one. Long limb power rusher, works hard coming off the edge, rarely stays blocked, uses those long levers, creating separation from his man, quick hands to chop down, rip through to get the edge on the court, on, on the tackle. Uh, very strong, put up 27 reps at 225 uh, in the bench press at his pro day. Uh, anchors very well, sets a hard edge, uses that length to get under the blocker's pad level, easily uh, disengaging and going after the ball carrier. I, I think when you look at him, you can team him with, with Owe and Tyus Bowser, who led the team with seven sacks. Gives some stability to that position coming off the edge. That's really been a calling card for Baltimore in the past. I think you really need to ultimately get that going um, if you're going to be Baltimore. Uh, when you're looking at them in round number two, I mentioned that, that center position. Dylan Parham out of Memphis, 6'3", 3'11". I think this makes a lot more sense. Parham has a little bit more length. I think he would fit well into what the Ravens want to do offensively. And then round number three, they've got two selections here. I, I think they do need to get that, that third corner uh, to pair up with uh, you know, uh, 
Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. I'm looking at Cam Taylor Britt, 5'11", 196 there out of Nebraska. I think he'd be a nice piece there for uh, the Baltimore Ravens. And then on top of that, I think they end up going with an inside backer, uh, Josh Bynes. Uh, likely not going to be coming back. So Baltimore needs to get another inside linebacker. And uh, I think what Baltimore ends up doing is uh, they target Christian Harris out of Alabama. I mean, that just feels like a guy that Ozzie Newsom would target. Six foot, 226. A guy who, look, he was one of the leaders of, of Bama's defense. And a guy that really came to life in, in the playoff, the college football playoff. Then he runs a 4-4-440 as well. Uh, 34-and-a-half-inch vertical leap. I'm looking at Christian Harris. I think he's the guy that could come in and potentially be a, an immediate starter there for Baltimore. And, and so, look, I, I think you could still go uh, Jordan Davis. If you do, then they're in round number two. Baltimore would then have to – you could still go Dylan Parham. And then in round – I think you – if that's the case, you probably go pass rusher. You're probably targeting a guy like Sam Williams or Maje Sanders there in round number two at number 45 overall. Then you can go after a guy like Cam Jurgens or, or Luke Fortner there in round number three at that center position. So it's entirely possible that Baltimore uh, could go Jordan Davis, but as of right now, I still have them taking Jermaine Johnson because he's still sitting there on the board for them. Which takes us to Philly. And so now Philadelphia Eagles, they're sitting there with – they. Initially had three picks in round number one. They ended up making that trade with uh, New Orleans. And I'm looking there at number 15. I think they do need to get a, another receiver for for Jalen Hurts. And yes, they used that number 12 pick on, on Devontae Smith. Led the team with both receptions and receiving yards. The only other receiver to finish with over 35 receptions and 300 yards was Quez Watkins. When you think about it, Jalen Rager, he's been a disappointment. JGR Sager Whiteside, Greg Ward. Failed to produce any type of impact. They signed Zach Pascal, good option as a, as a bigger possession receiver, but they need a weapon on the outside. And look, this is a copycat league. You know, teams are going to be looking for the next Debo Samuel, you know, bigger version of a running back playing the wide receiver position. And Traylon Burks absolutely fits that mold. 6'2, 225 pounds. Uh, this is a guy who is at his best uh, showing off his body control and the ability to go up and attack those 50-50 balls at such a high rate. He's got these huge hands. Um, I, I think they're 10 and 3 quarters inch, you know, inch hands. Ran a 4 5, five 40. Um, I, I'm really not concerned about the long speed, though, because you watch him on the field. He plays a lot faster than that. I still don't think he has plenty of vertical speed. But the thing with it is you could do a lot of things with I mean, you saw what the 49ers were able to do with Devo Samuel. I think you could do similar things here with uh, Traylon Burks. And then at number 19, you know, I think they could go defensive tackle. They could go pass rusher. So I think Devontae Wyatt and George Karloftis are in play here. But I think you also need another corner. You've got Darius Slay. You've got Devontae Maddox. Maddox belongs in the slot. Steven Nelson's a free agent. May not be brought back. I think you go Trent McDuffie here. 5'11", 193. A guy that plays bigger than his size. You know, he can play the bigger guys. He can play some of the smaller guys as well. Very aggressive. Loves to get physical. Fits well. Press man. Likes to get his hands on the receivers early. Does a decent job rerouting off the line. Uh, you'll see fluidity in his hips. Ability to run. Change of direction. Easily mirroring his man down the field as well. Good job reading the quarterback in, in zone coverage. Um, physical at the catch point. I think he's also a guy that's going to love to come up and run support. So DB coaches, defensive coordinators are going to love that out of him as well. I think this pick just makes a lot of sense. 
Um, if McDuffie were a couple of inches taller, we'd be talking about a potential top 10 pick. I think this would be great value at number 19 for Philly, which then takes us to round number two. In round number two, Philadelphia Eagles have uh, number 51 overall. I think this is where they go there with their pass rusher. And Cam Thomas is, look, he's one of my favorite players in this draft. 6'4", 267. And look, I was disappointed that that hamstring uh, didn't allow him to really showcase what he could do at the, the Senior Bowl or um, at the Combine. But he ends up running this this crazy 6'4", 3 code drill that shows that this dude can absolutely bend. You didn't necessarily see it on the film, but what you did see was a guy, excellent hands, heavy-handed, uh, uses a variety of moves from a swim to a chop to a double, uh, you know, double hand swipe. You know, a lot of different things. You'll see some rips. You'll see some arm overs. He'll beat you on the outside. He'll beat you on the inside. Very intelligent, instinctive guy. 20 and a half tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks. I mentioned he was second only to Will Anderson in pressures a season ago. I think with Cam Thomas, with what he was able to do, he didn't run the 40, but he did showcase some of that lateral agility. He has much more bend. He's much more explosive than people, again, were giving him credit for. I think in round number two, that would be great value for Philly. And look, I know Philly has addressed their pass rush in free agency. They did bring uh, Derek Barnett back. He's been a disappointment really to this point, but he is back. Uh, Brandon Graham still on the roster. You brought in Hassan Reddick, but I think you need another pass rusher there. Josh Sweat's already a guy that you have to be confident in. Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick really are the future of your pass rush. You get a guy like Cam Thomas in there, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. So Philly there, on day three of the draft, you have to start thinking about life without uh, Jason Kelsey. You know, and so I, I think this could be Cam Jurgens, this could be Luke Fortner, but I'm going in a different direction. Cole Strange out of Chattanooga, 6'5", 307. Everyone's talking about him being a guard, and I think he could play guard. You know, And, and you look at this group, they have Isaac Somalo, they have Landon Dickerson, and, and so I think Cole Strange could be the next center there taking over for Jason Kelsey, or that job could end up going to Landon Dickerson. And Cole Strange ends up taking over that, that guard position. But you have guys that are versatile that can play multiple positions along the interior of that line. So I really like that pick for uh, the Eagles. And then look, the Eagles have another pick in, in round number three, 101 overall. It's a compensatory pick that they got from New Orleans. And I think they get their defensive tackle. Uh, look, you know, the, the long-term future of Fletcher Cox is up in the air. Matthew Butler is a guy that's really kind of emerged there out of Tennessee, 6'4", 297. I think he's a guy who can end up coming off the board late day two. And uh, you know, Philly gets a guy that can end up teaming up there with, with guys like Marlon Tui Pelotu and, uh, and, and Milton Williams there behind Fletcher Cox and, and just continuing to add some of those pieces there uh, to the interior of that defensive front. Which then takes us to New Orleans. Now, why did New Orleans want to make this deal? Why did they move? You know, they were already sitting there at 18, but why did they want to get ahead of the Chargers? I firmly believe it's because of the offensive tackle position. I, I firmly do. Uh, when you look at this, Teron Armstead is gone. He's in Miami now. You need that offensive tackle. It could be Charles Cross. Because look, if Charles Cross doesn't go to Seattle at 9 or Houston at 13, he could fall all the way to 16. But if he's not on the board, then look, there's a drop-off after the number four guy, and that's Trevor Penny. So I think they have to make sure that they... They are locked in because, look, I think the Chargers 
they've got to go with an offensive tackle early in, in the draft. Uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense for, for the Chargers. But with Trevor Penning there, 6'7", 325 out of Northern Northern Iowa, I think everybody knows that this, you know, he's the latest mammoth offensive tackle, 6'7", plus, to come out of NIU. Uh, you had Spencer Brown, third-round pick of the Bills a season ago. Looks like a perennial starter there on, on the right side of that, that line for the Bills. But this dude, he wants to physically dominate and humiliate whoever's in front of him. You usually see like this judo, judo toss or you know, just driving his man into the ground. Violent, violent player. Reminiscent of these old school offensive linemen who just want to break your spirit. Violent punch to the chest of the edge rusher that stuns him to slow in that rush. All the brute force physicality, though, he's surprisingly nimble. Ran a 4.8740. You see uh, some good bend, uh, good depth in his kick slide as well. Um, and, and look, you know, this guy is, you know, he's got nearly, you know, what, an 84 inch wingspan, and, and he was still able to rip out, uh, or, you know, what, I think his, his max was 385 at the bench, 625 pound squat, so definitely a strong dude. Um, he does have some some limitations right now in his game you know far from a finished product hands are getting consistent he's going to struggle maintaining that outside hand at times as well you're going to see him struggle with the secondary moves uh, pad level needs to stay higher he's going to get walked back into the quarterback uh, needs to do a better job uh, closing down the space on the rusher so they can't uh, make a move to get by him but look he has the tools and the fire to be a guy and be that dude and be that left tackle to pair with Ryan Ramchek. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And then at, nine, at 18, you go with the receiver, Chris Olave. I think he's going to be your guy. Michael Thomas needs help. When he went down, th- this passing attack was absolutely atrocious. The trio of, of Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris, Traquan Smith, they were key pieces, but none of them was really that, that threat and you need a vertical threat. Chris Olave is absolutely that guy. One of the best pure vertical threats in the game. Unofficial 4-2-6-40. Wound up being a 4-3-9. Very impressive. There you saw This is the guy who gets separation on those vertical routes. He's sudden off the line. Does a great job at the stem to create that separation. Speed to keep the defender in his rearview mirror. Body control to contort his body when the ball is in the air as well. A guy that's, you know, he's just, he's so smooth and so efficient. I really like the Saints targeting him there uh, with that number 18 pick. You move on to round number two, and the Saints sitting there at number 49. I think they need a corner as well. Kyler Gordon out of Washington, 5'11", 194 pounds. Another athlete, very athletic, uh, reminiscent of of, uh, of of Trent McDuffie as well. I think you get your corner there in round number two. And then you move on to round number three if you're the Saints. Uh, you're sitting there. And uh, do you take a quarterback? At some point, I think you you kind of have to add another quarterback to the roster. You have uh, what Trevor Simeon. You've got you know Taysom Hill. What what are you really doing there? I think that New Orleans sitting there at number ninety eight overall. Carson Strong, 6'3", 226 out of Nevada. Maybe the the most explosive arm uh, of the group, but he's more of a a pocket passer. Um, I, I think he's still. Trying to show that he has more mobility than that, that he can manipulate the pocket. You know, he's got that that knee injury that that's really been bothering him. You know, he's got that that knee brace, um, but I, I think he's a guy that would fit well there with New Orleans behind Jameis Winston. Um, so I, I think that's good value there at the end of round number three for New Orleans. So 
that takes us to the LA Chargers. And with the LA Chargers, look, uh, again, they, they need offensive line help in, in a desperate way. And really, when you're talking about that, you're not talking about Rashawn Slater, who's your all-pro technician there on the left side, protecting Justin Herbert's blind side. You're talking about the right tackle spot. Storm Norton, he struggled. Nine sacks given up, six penalties according to Pro Football Focus. They need a right tackle. So if Trevor Penning's there, they're absolutely jumping on him. Could they go receiver? Could they go Chris Olave? The team went with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams give a vertical threat for Justin Herbert. Absolutely. But look, they've got a running game that 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 struggled. You know, they need an impact defensive tackle, worst run defense. They added Austin Johnson. They added Sebastian Joseph Day. They're already focusing on that defensive line, but Jordan Davis is a difference maker. That sheer size takes up a ton of space at the line of scrimmage. You combine that with the strength to take on multiple blockers, not budge at the point of attack, allow those linebackers behind him to make plays. Um, but then he has that burst, the ability to get off blocks. He's so agile getting into the backfield. And uh, that 47840, I mean, come on. I mean, that's the fastest we've seen by a defensive tackle weighing over 315 pounds in recent memory. Insane workouts. Just they match the game film. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be pursuing, uh, you know, pursuing guys, chasing guys down. I mean, really just being a force. And when you think about him eating up blocks and being that force on the interior, with Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, and Derwin Derwin James lurking to make a play on the ball. I mean, look, the Chargers, that division, that features those high-powered passing attacks. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. You need to have a ferocious defense. If Jordan Davis is there on the board, I think the Chargers absolutely have to get this guy. I mean, his workouts might have been more impressive than Dontari Poe, who ended up being the number 11 overall pick of the Chiefs in 2012. I think Jordan, uh, Jordan Davis could go as high as number 12 to Minnesota. If Stinkley is not there, I think that's who they could target um, in the middle of that defense. I think he could go number 13 to Houston, number 14 to Baltimore. But if I'm the Chargers, I got to pull the trigger there. That makes a lot of sense to me. They don't have a second round pick. So in round number three, I still think they get their their right tackle. And they get Abraham Lucas out of Washington State, 6'6", 315. Very fluid mover. You know, there are question marks about whether or not he can handle the running game. You know, we saw Andre Dillard being, you know, coming from Mike Leach's air raid system, struggled with some of his run blocking. Uh, but what you do have with, with Abraham Lucas is a very fluid athlete, decent length, ran a 4.9240, 24, uh, 24 reps in the bench press as well, uh, which is pretty darn good for a guy who has pretty much 34-inch arms. So uh, I, I think you've got a guy who could come in and be your starter there uh, at right tackle. So I think that would be best-case scenario for the Chargers. You could address your biggest needs up front on both sides of the line in the first few days of the draft. You can't ask for much more than that. Pittsburgh at number 20. And look, Ben Roethlisberger era, we know it's over. Uh, Big Ben is retired. First ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely. Uh, You've got Mason Rudolph. You've got Dwayne Haskins. He made the trade for Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky comes in, two-year deal, but it still feels like a bridge quarterback. I think they, you know, if they want Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, they may have to trade up. But I think they can stay here and get Matt Corral. 6'2", 212 pounds, the junior, excel in Lane Kiffin's offense. I know it's a simplistic, quarterback-friendly offense, but look, Corral, 
play action 60, 60.4% of the time, according to Pro Football Focus. Matt Canada loves RPOs and play action. Corral, what I love about him is the arm strength. 40-plus yard passes to the wide side of the field look effortless with this dude. Tremendous pocket presence. Shows that feel for the rush. Uh, footwork to escape the pocket. Uh, against Bama, he was repeatedly able to spin away and slide away uh, from, from Will Anderson. I mean, a dude who's probably going to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft. Eye discipline as well. Uh, often looking away to hold the safety before setting his feet and shifting his eyes to the other side of the field. Sometimes he even pulled off a no-look pass a la Patrick Mahomes as well. Uh, you know, what you saw there was he also cut down on his mistakes that plagued him in 2020 through 14 picks as a sophomore in and 11 of those took place in just two games. Six versus Arkansas, five against LSU. Between those games, though, three year or a three-game stretch in 2020 against Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Mississippi State, were corralled through 12 touchdowns and zero interceptions. In 2021, just threw five interceptions on the year. So he cut down on the mistakes. We're really seeing the potential. This is a guy that I talked about potentially being the number one quarterback in this draft class if he can cut down on those mistakes at the beginning of the year. Unquestioned leader of this uh, of the, the Rebels defense. You know, and when you look at it, Pro Football Focus noted that he completed just 40.4% of his passes that were over 20 yards uh, in 2021, which is a far cry from the 67.9% passing total on the year. So I think Trubisky will be the starter in 2022, probably in 2023 as well. Give Corral some time to learn, but they've got to get a quarterback and clearly Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins are not your long-term options there at the quarterback position. They've already auditioned for that and they failed. You know, essentially, they failed miserably. So, I think you hit your quarterback and then on day two, you go after an offensive lineman. I, I think they, they definitely have uh, <coughs> a need there at that offensive line position. Um, you know, ever since you know they lost Alejandro Villanueva, they've kind of struggled to get a, a tackle there. Right now, Dan Moore is the guy. Uh, they've got Chuck Sikorafor there on, on the right side. I think this pick in round two is going to be used on Bernard Ryman, uh, 6'6", 303, out of Central Michigan. Athletic guy. He's still raw, still new to the position, but you've seen a lot of development in a short period of time. Came to Central Michigan. Uh, you know, he was an Austrian exchange student in high school, and uh, he was 240 pounds. Now he's over 300 pounds. Still has the movement skills of a, of a tight end at 245. I really like that pick to Pittsburgh there in round number two, and then in round three, look, you know, Terrell Edmonds. You know, his future, not really sure. I'm looking at Brian Cook out of Cincinnati, six foot 203. I love what he was able to do on the back end there for Cincinnati. You got solid play there at the cornerback position. I like Brian Cook to come in here and really solidify that 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 group uh, at the safety spot. Could be a strong safety there with Mika Fitzpatrick. And then finally, New England. I, I think New England sitting there at number 21 overall. They could go in a few different directions. Receivers. I, I think you could go Jamison Williams. Um, you know, look, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, they were solid role players. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Nikhil Harry, they struggled. You need a number one. I think Jamison Williams could absolutely be a guy here. They traded Shaq Mason to, to Tampa. That opens up a hole at right guard, so I think Zion Johnson could potentially be that guy. Um, defensively, though, um, you're talking about a defense that was top five um, and, and actually number two against the pass. But then you lose J.C. Jackson, which hurts the defense. You add Malcolm Butler, that kind of tempers things a little bit there. 
because you have Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones returning from injury in the slot. I think at the end of the day, when you look at this Bills team, or this uh, Patriots team, nine and four start, seven game win streak going into the bye, bye week there, uh, week 14. Patriots close out the season losing three of their final four games. It gave up over four yards per carry in each of those games to Indianapolis, Buffalo, Jacksonville, a game they won, and Miami. And then to make matters worse, they struggled in the middle of the field against Buffalo in that wildcard game, ultimately getting blitz 47-17 in that game. They're desperate to get speed at that linebacker position. An off-ball linebacker can play sideline to sideline against the run and drop into coverage, something they lacked against the Bills. Devin Lloyd, converted safety there at Utah, 6'3", 237. Versatility, fill up the stat sheet 2021. 111 tackles, 22 coming behind the line of scrimmage, 7 sacks, 4 interceptions, 2 of which were returned for a touchdown, and 6 pass breakups. He has the range, sideline to sideline, effective at slipping blocks, coming downhill, disrupting the runs, blitz through the A-gap, bends off the edge, can be a standard defender, but also put his hand in the dirt and rush the quarterback as well. Versatility to drop into coverage, handle the tight end duties, I think this is a guy feels like a Bill Belichick type of player. I think it makes a lot of sense there on day one. He moved to day two of the draft. I mentioned that they need a guard, right? Sean Ryan out of UCLA, 6'5", 321. He was a tackle there for the Bruins. I I think there's some limitations to his game in terms of some of his length, some of his his lateral agility. But, dude, once this guy, his grip strength, once he latches onto you, he's not letting go. I think... You put him in there at guard, he's going to be a starter. I think his ceiling, he could potentially be a Pro Bowl guard. I I think he has that that type of skill set. So I I think you have him there. And then in round number three, I mentioned the quarterback position. I think the Patriots can end up getting a corner in round three. Uh, Patriots there, 85 overall. How about the Jim Thorpe Award winner, Kobe Bryant? 6'1", 193 pounds. Look, his teammate there with the Bearcats, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, got all the attention and all the, uh, the talk. But look, individual awards, he earned that Jim Thorpe Award, a guy who has impressive ball skills. I think the reason why we're not really talking about Kobe Bryant was he didn't run the, the fastest 40. Um, you know, he ran a 4 5 4, but definitely a guy who I think still has the, the skills to be a press man corner. Uh, a guy who has good instincts, could drive on the football, make plays. I love the ball skills out of him. Uh, a guy who's going to contest catches and really attack that catch point. Uh, definitely feels like a Bill Belichick guy as well. So I, I think that's really kind of how those those first 16 teams are really going to shape up you know, th- this draft. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. We obviously have 16 more teams to talk about. We're going to start with Green Bay there with the number 22 overall pick that they got from Las Vegas. We'll work our way down. We'll even talk about the teams that don't have a first round pick. That if, you know, that list really is growing at this point. You're talking about Chicago, Indianapolis, Cleveland, San Francisco, Denver, Vegas, LA, the Rams, and Miami all without a first round pick. And some of these teams, you know, in the case of the Raiders, the Rams, and the Dolphins only have one pick on day two altogether. And if the Rams didn't get a compensatory pick, they wouldn't have one at all. So it's going to be interesting to see how this draft shakes up. And in our next podcast here in a couple of days, we'll take a look at the next 16 teams and really break things down from there. So until next time, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Check out my my top 10 rankings and my three-round mock draft on readyforthedraft.com. 
Enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Have a great weekend. And until next time, I am out of here.